concert a few times. Uh, I remember one concert, he spoke of growing up in a home where I think his dad was a, a doctor, a GP. Uh, it was a rural community. He was very busy. And um, Michael remembers as a young boy seeing his dad. He looked forward to his dad coming, but his dad would come in and quickly would head into the office at home and shut the door. And Michael wanted to be with his dad, but his dad seemed preoccupied and busy. And so Michael remembers getting on his knees and pushing his chubby little fingers under the door and wiggling them to try and get his dad's attention. And he laughed and he said, well, maybe the reason I became a performance artist playing the piano and the guitar was just to keep wiggling my fingers to get my father's attention. I think all of us are motivated deep down by um, these desires, really, for acceptance and love. And many are plagued by the questions of a hungry and anxious heart. Do you love me? Are you angry with me? Do you accept me? And how much more significant are those questions when it comes to our creator, God? What is the state of our relationship with God? What does God think of me? Does he accept me? Does he welcome me? Does he approve of me? I have sat down with some very godly Christians who, when they're being honest, are plagued with a sense that God must be very disappointed in them. That if God turns his face towards them, he has a bit of a heavy sigh. Well, what does God have to say to us? Well, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. I'd love you to see it in black and white in front of you. So keep your hands up and they'll bring you a Bible. Romans chapter 5. And in the church Bibles, you'll find this on page uh, 1132. Page 1132. Romans chapter 5. I was going to preach this uh, chapter in one, but it's so good, we're going to slow down. Just two verses today. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is God's word. Keep your Bibles open in front of you, please. And notice with me that what we're looking at here are objective truths. If we live our lives by our subjective feelings, we're choosing to live life on a roller coaster. As a family, we returned back to America 
this last summer to visit the church I used to pastor. And one day we visited Silverwood and we, we went on this terrifying ride called Earthquake where we sort of hung underneath on this thing. And, uh, but if you've been on a roller coaster, you know it's an incredible experience. The, uh, the, the, the sort of the anxiety builds as the queue gets up. You finally get strapped into the cart and it's off and it starts clunking up, up, up and the, and the tension is, is rising and you just get to that point at the top where you, you just tip forward and the anxiety turns into sort of full-blown panic as your body hurtles down and round corners and inverts up and, 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 and at the end you're just relieved that you're still alive. Now, roller coasters are fun if they're short rides but you don't want to live your life as a, an emotional roller coaster. If we're basing our relationship with God on our subjective feelings, that's what we're doing. We're living on a roller coaster. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, who was a, a great uh, preacher, doctor, uh, who pastored in um, Port Talbot and then in, in, in London, he used to say that many of the problems of the Christian uh, are simply because. We listen to ourselves when instead we should be preaching to ourselves. That we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. And so I want you to notice with me today that we are looking at objective truth that really, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to preach this to yourself uh, this week. And if you're not a Christian, what on earth are you doing? Become a Christian today. It's, it, you're going to see it's so good. Because look at the beautiful logic of these two verses. It speaks of the past and the present and the future of the Christian believer. Look at the past there. We have been justified through faith. That's the glorious truth of the gospel that the Apostle Paul has been outlining in the first four chapters in this letter that he wrote to Christians in Rome in the first century. And look at the logic. Since this is the case, since you have been justified, therefore, there are some amazing consequences that are true for all who have been justified. Things that are true in the present and in the future that will necessarily follow. They're the logical, they're the practical consequences for people who are justified. Well, what are they? Well, in the present, it says we have peace with God and also we have access into God's grace. And in the future, at the end of verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's the logic of these verses. That's the shape before us. And what I want to do this morning is to just think a bit more deeply about this, about these four crucial words, justified, Peace, access, and glory. Uh, you, you know about uh, JPEG? This is JPEG, right? Justified access, peace, access, glory. Let's just think about the, uh, this first word, justified. This is, this is the past for the Christian believer. We have been justified through faith. It's a, it's a courtroom word. It's a legal pronouncement. We've been declared right before God. 
God has deemed us righteous in his sight. And this is so utterly remarkable if you've been reading the first few chapters of Romans. If you were with us as we went through this, you will know how remarkable this is. But perhaps you're visiting today and you haven't looked at Romans for a while. Paul has been laying out quite clearly how all of us are actually guilty and condemned. Uh, Look back at chapter 1, verse 5. Turn back a few pages and look at chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them we know that there's a creator God there but we grab all the goodies and we fail to thank him for making it and instead of living our lives as as a, a way of worship and thanksgiving to this amazing God who's given us life and breath and everything we instead kind of just worship and live for the stuff that he has made and so we are rebel sinners we're guilty we we don't want to do what God wants us to do whether we've had the privilege of having the Bible where we know what's uh, what's right and what's wrong from the Bible or whether simply from our own conscience where God has imprinted some of his moral framework into our conscience we choose to go against it and so actually we are all sinners the Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 5. This is a very scary verse for those who refuse to repent. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, that's been the, the scary bad news that he's laid out that we're all heading towards the ultimate day in court, judgment day, and we are willful rebel sinners. We're guilty and condemned. But these haven't been miserable months looking at this because the good news is that God has made a way that we can be declared right with him, not by being religious, not by suddenly turning a leaf and doing good things, but by trusting his one and only son, who came as sinless individual and offered himself uh, as a sort of a sacrifice in our place. He took the wrath of God that we deserved. He propitiates God's wrath. So now that we have favor with God and we have blessing. Look at the end of chapter 4 as you see him summarizing and applying this truth. If you look at chapter 4 and verse 23, he's been talking about Um, Abraham but uh, then he applies it look at chapter 4 verse 23 the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us that's why we're looking at this because we need to become righteous if we've got any hope how on earth is that going to happen The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is, the, this is the glorious gospel he's laid out, and he's applied it specifically now. This is, this is to us, those who have put our faith in Jesus. Our sins are dealt with, we're declared right with him. The, the righteousness of God is credited to our account. And now he wants to sell, uh, spell out the absolute certainty and assurance that the believer can have since they put their trust in Jesus. And, and the first glorious truth is that I know today what is going to be said about me on Judgment Day. Remember chapter 2, verse 5, there's this scary day of judgment. The unrepentant person is building up wrath that's going to be poured out on the day of wrath. What's going to happen on the day of judgment? Well, for those who have been justified, I know today what's going to happen on that day. The pronouncement will come. Forgiven. Righteous. Justified. And so that changes everything, doesn't it? I, I don't have to be anxious about what's going to happen in the future. Because I am justified through faith in Jesus Christ. How thankful I am for Jesus, my Redeemer and Savior. How kind of him to pay the penalty for me. Amazing grace and love has been lavished on me. That's God's gospel about his son. And what I want to say to you today is, do you know this for yourself? Eleanor spoke of the fact that it, it became clear to her that, that, that she wasn't good enough on her own. It had to be hers. Have you come to that point where you've personally put your trust in Jesus? If you've not done it, why not do it today? I mean, in the bulletin, I've, every week I make sure there's a prayer of repentance. It's in there, and you could use it. It's on the inside sheet. And you could say this prayer to God so that you can become right with him this very day. Why delay? Because there are certain truths that follow from this state of being justified. This is the logic. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, here's what follows. Therefore, two transforming truths in the present. First one, we have peace with God. Now, this is not talking about a subjective sense, the peace of God. It's not talking about whether I'm feeling anxious or not. This is an objective state. Uh, the, the truth is that when I was uh, rejecting God, rebelling, taking all the goodies, ignoring him, I was an enemy. God was against me. And yet something remarkable has happened since I've been justified. That enmity is over. And I am at peace with God. Now, I may have subjective feelings where I think to myself, oh, I'm sure God's angry at me. But do you know what? In Christ, the answer is no. We have peace with God. It is the wonderful freedom of the Christian believer to not only know the outcome of the final day, but you remember 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being uh, revealed now, but not, not for the believer, for I have peace with God. Whatever is happening in my life, whatever difficulties and struggles, it's not because God is angry at me if I'm trusting Christ, oh no. 
One of the aspects of human relationships that we sometimes have to negotiate is dealing with people who, who, who always seem to be angry. And they can be a bit passive-aggressive. Do you know people like that? If people are dance, uh, sort of creeping around you, maybe you're one of these people. Uh, the truth is we all, we all can be a bit angry and passive-aggressive at times, can't we? No, I'm not. I'm not. No, good. But, uh, and the mistake is to think that God is like that. He's not. If you're justified, you have peace with God. There's no anxiety about coming to his presence. No, you have peace. This is a wonderful freedom. And of course, all these blessings are ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've met people who, who seem to think that they have a wonderful, peaceful relationship with God, but it's nothing to do with Jesus. And I have to say, what they have is a, an illusion. It's not real. You can subjectively feel all is right between me and God, but if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have peace with God. God is still at enmity with you. However, subjectively, you might be feeling it. We only gain peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the second privilege is there in verse 2, uh, through whom we have gained access into God's grace. Now picture yourself, uh, a homeless person in London. You've been on the streets a long time, you're hungry, you're dirty, you're smelly, your clothes are a bit tatty, and uh, you're outside Buckingham Palace, and you can just peer through the, the railings, and you can peer through the windows, and there's a state banquet, and the Queen's there. Oh, there's food. It's available. What's the problem? You've got no access. Uh, there's lots of things getting in the way, aren't there? Um, number one, you need to have somebody who's going to make you introdu introduce you to the, to the Queen. Uh, get you on a guest list to let you through the gates. Uh, you might need to have a bath. You might need some new clothes. So you can go and enjoy the, the banquet. The great issue with God is how do you get access? And how do you know you're going to be welcome? And how do you know you're going to be positively received? In the evening service, um, Andy Patterson went and looked at the book of Esther. And there's an extraordinary scene where um, she is urged by uh, her uncle to go and speak to the king. And she says, well, I can't go because I, he's not invited me to come. You can't just turn up to the, ki to the, you know, the king of Persia unannounced. And if I stand in the courtroom, if he extends his scepter, I will have access to come. And if he doesn't do that, it'll be off with my head. It's the issue of access. I mean, there was a fascinating example last weekend of people who bumped into the Queen. Did you hear about that? Uh, some American tourists walking near the Balmoral Estate, and, they, and uh, there was the Queen. She's on holiday, so she's in her tweeds with a, uh, you know, what do you call them? Scarf on, that's right. And, uh, and so they met her. She was there with her police protection. And they said, oh, do you, do, you live, do, you, have you, do you live nearby? She said, oh, yes, I have a house quite close by. <laughs> and uh, 
They said, have you ever met the queen? And she said, I've never met the queen, she said, but uh, this man has met, him, met her a few times. And they smiled and they walked on, oblivious. Well, you don't normally bump in. And certainly if you want to get a favor from a king, you need access. Well, here's the glorious truth uh, for the Christian, isn't it? Not only do we have peace with God, but the door's wide open. We have been given the privilege of access into the, the throne room. And the book of Hebrews describes it as this. We have access to the throne of grace. Not only do I know that God's on the other side of the door. You know, there's, there's Michael wiggling his fingers under his father's door. Well, the truth is for us, the door's wide open. And I know I'm going to get a great welcome into the presence of God. And he wants to pour out his rich generosity, his favor to those who will approach him through our Lord Jesus Christ. What amazing privileges are ours. The crazy thing as Christians is sometimes we forget and we think we're still the beggar outside the palace. When we already have gained access. What a privilege is ours to wake up in the morning, even before your feet touch the floor, turn to the throne of grace. Thank him that you've woken up to another day. Bring before him your, your praise and adoration. Bring before him what's happening and head into the day, walking through the day with, with him. At the end of the day, bring him to lie down, thank him for all his goodness, for all his blessings. Commit to him the cares and worries for the next day and rest your head on the pillow, knowing that even as you sleep, he's taken care of it all. Access. What a privilege. And I think the, the great danger is that we as Christians often think, well, you know, um, if I've had a great week and I went to home group and I even did my Bible study questions and I, and I read the Bible most of the days, then that week God's happy with me and I can come to church and joyfully sing these songs and, and I can ask him for things. But the week where I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't do my preparation and I, and I hardly looked at the Bible and I, and I made a major, major mistake and I can't really come and I can't ask and I can't, well, you're thinking it's about you, aren't you? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Get off the emotional roller coaster and believe what he says. If you have been justified through faith, you have peace with God and you have access into this grace in which you stand. This is solid ground. It is the steady state of the justified believer to enjoy these rich blessings of access. Amazing. And not only is that so, but we also have a future of glory. Verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's not just that I'm not anxious about Judgment Day because I know I'm, I'm going to, you know, be declared okay. It is that what awaits me on that day is glory. And uh, Paul says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I think we struggle to wrap our heads around this business of, of glory. What does it mean, the glory of God? And so maybe that's why we don't boast about it enough. I've been trying to meditate on it this week. Number one, God is glorious. Utterly glorious. 
we get an inkling of it in his creation. The glorious God has kind of weaved glory into his creation. We see it as we look out into the Milky Way on a cloudless night. We see it in a brand new baby. We, we see it as we look at incredible mountains. The God who makes a massive universe like this with billions of galaxies is a glorious God, full stop. But he's also glorious in his character, in his very being. Moses, um, after he had seen the Lord redeem the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt through all the signs and wonders, he has the temerity to ask God, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. What a, what a request. And God graciously says, look, I will, I will let you see my glory. But I'm going to have to fit you in, in, in a kind of a, in a, in a rock, a cleft in a rock. And I'm going to have to kind of cover your eyes as my glory comes by. Because you wouldn't be able to cope with seeing my glory. But I'll remove my hands and you'll see the after effects of my glory. And, and, and as that experience happens, uh, as the God's glory passes by, God declares his glorious character. He said this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So God is glorious in his character, but in his very being, it's such that this experience visibly impacted Moses. His face became radiant. He kind of freaked out the Israelites. He had to put a little veil over his face because the after effects of glory were still there upon him because wonder of wonders, God created us to be beings who would reflect the glory of God. Out of all that's in creation, he made uh, the man and the woman as image bearers to reflect the glory of God. So the universe could see this man and woman uh, in how they lived and behaved and see something of the glory of the character of God. But of course, we deface that glory with our rebellion and our sin. And so mankind is both equally glorious and hideous, uh, uh, capable of incredible wonders, but also awful things at the same time. And yet God in his grace has sent his, his son to redeem us and to recreate, renew his glory within us. The disciples had an experience of uh, something of the glory of Christ at the transfiguration, you recall, on a mountain. It was a brief moment where it was as if, uh, you know, his glory was unveiled and they saw him transfigured before them, brighter than the light of the sun. And he has come to deal with sinners so they can be forgiven and the image of God can be restored. 2 Corinthians speaks of us gazing on the glory of God in the face of Christ, and we becoming more and more glorious as we gaze on his glory. The end point of salvation is this. You're going to be glorious. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to see the glory of God. You're going to be, become like his son in all his glory. We get these award ceremonies, don't we? We get these sort of, um, the Oscars or 
Sports Personality of the Year awards, and they always announce various candidates, and they have that awful thing, don't they, where just before the results are read, there's a camera on each person's face who could get the award, and they, you know, they read the person, and one person looks elated, and the others try to look pleased. A day is coming when justified believers, it'll be your name. And you're going to hear the commendation. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little. Come into your master's joy. Share in the inheritance. Glory. We're going to have bodies that can cope with seeing the glory of God. We're going to be living for all eternity in a glorified new heavens and a new earth with a glorified body, a resurrected body like the resurrection body of Jesus. Saul actually saw something of the glory of the risen Christ on the Damascus road. It blinded him. It was the point of his conversion and his commission. Paul knew the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he's saying, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And what I love about this is it's also certain. Therefore, since we have been justified, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to see this in chapter 8. This salvation chain, it's set, it's determined, it's going to happen. It's certain. We're going to share in it. It's absolutely incredible. And I don't think we meditate enough on what the Bible has to say about the hope of glory. Because I'm not hearing us boasting about it very often. So I think there's some work to be done. And we're going to see the importance of it next week as we think about the present experience of the, of the justified believer, which can involve suffering. But, you know, I, I just imagining a few little scenarios. I, I, you know, someone's saying, oh, did you see the fireworks over Edinburgh Castle at the end of the festival? They were amazing. It was glorious. You know, there was a, there was a, there was a fountain of... A fireworks flowing down the side of the castle. And I, and I got invited to, a, to, a, to an office suite and I got to look at this incredible scene. And you go, oh, very good, that sounds great. One day I'm going to see the glory of God. Or someone says, oh, I've, you know, I've lost a stone and uh, oh, my back's not hurting so much. And you go, oh, that's fantastic. My, my body's pretty sore. But you know what? God's promised me I'm going to get a brand new resurrection body just like Jesus. Oh, have you... Got somewhere nice for your holidays? Oh, let me show you where I'm going. I'm going to the Maldives. Look at this lovely beach holiday. Hardly anyone there. Unspoilt. Unspoilt. Oh, that looks very good. Do you know what? I'm going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's so certain we can boast in it. My Christian friends... This week, will you get off the emotional roller coaster of thinking that your relationship with God is about how you feel? And will you preach the objective truth of the gospel to yourself every day? 
justified. So peace, access, glory. And my friends here who are not Christians yet, what's holding you back? Why would you not receive Christ today as your Lord and Savior? It could be all true for you today if you'll simply come. Turn to him in prayer. Let's pray.